So, tonight, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, okay? Blue book's right back there on the table. Just give Mr. Corey a high five as you go by and grab that. There you go. There you go. Thank you. Make sure you've got that. Somebody tell me what book we're going to be in. Titus, hey, man, I wanted y'all to know it before it went on the screen tonight. Titus, yes, we are going to finish up chapter one tonight. Last week, we looked at the first nine verses, and as we looked at that last week, does anybody remember what we talked about? Like, very quickly, what was it? Jail? No. Anybody? Hold on, hold on. No, we're not to those questions yet. Yes, Paul did write a letter to Titus. And in that letter, in those first nine verses, he kind of zeroes in or or hones in on on one specific thing. Do you remember what it was? Okay, your beliefs should impact your behavior. Absolutely. That's kind of the theme of this book as you go through. But he, he, he fleshed that out. He zeroed in or honed in on church leadership. He said, okay, if if you're going to select church leaders, he said, Titus, you're staying here. I want you to help set up church leadership in these churches in Crete. And in order to do that, you need to know what church leaders are supposed to look like. What Paul did to Titus in those first nine verses is he said, here is the what for church leadership. W-H-A-T, here's the what. Here's what you need to look for. Here's what church leadership needs to look like. Here's what they don't need to look like. Do you remember any of the things that were the positive things of this is what a church leader should look like? Hospitable, yes. That's one. Just? You're just reading them off there, aren't you? Absolutely. Keep going. Above reproach. Okay, so the things he should do, that list is he's above reproach, he's hospitable, he's lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, above reproach. All of those things, that is what a church leader should be. Now, if you remember when we talked about this, this specifically talks about church leaderships, but really as disciples of Jesus, that should be anybody that says that Jesus is their God and Savior. This is the life that we should be striving for to show people who God is in the way that we conduct ourselves, that our beliefs should affect our behavior. In fact, he gives the negative side of that. He says that a church leader should not be arrogant, not quick to lose his temper, not someone who gets drunk, not violent, not greedy. If you walk through all of those things, the what a church leader should not be and what a church leader should be, what you see is a focus of somebody who is paying attention to other people. Too often in leadership, people are concerned about themselves, about building their name and building their platform and what other people can do for them. But what Paul is talking about with Titus here, Paul is showing this picture that church leadership ought to be focused on others. Because when you're called to lead in the church, you're actually called to serve. You're called to put others above yourself. You're called to look out for others, to take care of others, to help others, not look out for yourself. And that's a drastic difference from what we see in the world around us. But that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. And he ends this in verse 9 with the way that Rachel started it. Said he needs to be able to preach the word. He needs to be able to rightly handle God's word. And he also needs to be able to call out those people who would twist and challenge the word of God. All of that is the what for church leaders. 
That's the first nine verses of this chapter, Titus chapter 1. But then what Paul does is he shifts into the why. He says, okay, here's what a church leader should look like. Here's all of the things you need to look for because belief should impact behavior. What we say we believe should impact every area of our life. If you know what to look for, now Paul says, here's why you need to look for that. Here's why you need to find those kind of people in the church to be in leadership. And it's because there are people who are twisting the word of God. We talked about this in Second Peter. Remember that we went through, hey, what do false teachers look like? And there's people who will take God's word and they will twist it and they will make it seem right and yet tell lies at the same time for their own personal gain. And Paul starts here in verse 10. He says, these are the people you need to look out for. You need to have the proper church leadership so that you've got people who can recognize those false teachers and they can call them out. And they can make sure that the church is not being led astray. And that's exactly what he gets into in verse 10. But before we jump into that, let's walk through the questions so we know this book and what we're getting into. Who wrote the book of Titus? Paul, not Titus. Who did Paul write it to? Titus, there you go. Do we know where it was written? No. We went through this last week when you got so excited. It's a great answer. And I told you guys like 90% of the time if somebody asks you where Paul was when he wrote something, you say jail, you'll probably be right. I, I tricked you. This time you're not right. We believe he was actually released from jail in Acts. I think it's Acts chapter 28. It describes where he's released from, from jail in Rome. And we believe he wrote it shortly after that. So that brings me to the next question. When do we believe it was written? Yeah, around 63, maybe a little bit later than that, A.D. And why was it written? To encourage and instruct. Paul does a lot of that in his letters. He writes it to encourage. He's trying to encourage Titus to let him know, hey, this, this is why I left you there. I'm trusting you. I need you to do these things. But he's also giving him that instruction. He's giving him that instruction that the, the people that he needs to look for in order to set up leadership in this church. And as he walks through this, we start to see some important things for us tonight. So I'm going to ask you all to stand as we read through this entire passage of Scripture. And Mr. Nathan, come on up here. This is Nathan. He's going to come read for us. We're going to have him on mic number four, please, if we can make sure that one's turned on. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. Okay. We're going to start in verse 10, Titus 1, verse 10. It says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You want to pray for us? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to study your word. Um, I pray that you would help each of us to first and foremost, before we start thinking through the text, to just submit to it and um, understand that it's authoritative and it has power over our lives. I pray that you would just prepare our hearts and our minds to be taught by it before we project any opinions or any things like that into it. Just help us be changed by your truth 
um, that you have brought here for us. Um, help us learn something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Nathan. Okay. So, as I said, Paul jumps directly from the what to the why here in the first verse. And he's specifically going back to what he talked about at the end of verse 9. He's saying that church leaders need to be able to teach sound doctrine and stand against false doctrine. Listen to what he says in verse 10 again. He says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. He says it's important for church leaders to be able to understand God's word, take God's word, and teach God's word so that when they see people who are making false statements or false claims or lies about God's Word that they can actually call it out. And like I said before, we talked about that in 2 Peter when we were walking through that a few weeks ago. And Paul starts calling, he kind of starts calling them names here. He says specifically, he says they're, they're empty talkers, they're deceivers. Now stop for a second. You may know somebody like that in your life. Somebody, and don't, don't like raise your hand, I don't want anybody to call out any names or anything, but you probably know somebody that as soon as they start talking, the first thought in your head is, liar. Because of your experience with them. Over time, when they've said things, when they've opened their mouths, when they've started talking, they're saying things that sound really good, things that sound like, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that, I want to do that, and yet, they're lies. You know as soon as they say they're going to do things or they're going to make things happen, they're, they're not going to happen. They're, they're empty talkers. They're deceivers. Their words don't mean anything. And he says, these are the people that are coming into the church who are saying, yes, Jesus is the answer. Oh, by the way, there's some other things that you need to do too to be able to follow God. In fact, he gives one specific example here. He references it in verse 10. He talks about the circumcision party. If you don't know what that is, that's a physical act that was part of the Old Testament covenant, Old Testament covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants. And that was something that carried through the Old Testament. But when you got to the New Testament, when Jesus came on the scene, there was a new covenant with God and with God's people. And that whole physical act wasn't required anymore to be identified as somebody that belonged to God, as part of God's people. But what was happening here is you've got people who were coming into the church and they were saying, hey, you need Jesus, but you also need to do this. It was Jesus and. And see, here's the problem with that. Scripture tells us it's just Jesus. There is no and to it. It's kind of like people who think, you know what, I'm going to go to church, but if I'm going to go to church and I'm going to fit in and I'm going to look like everybody else, I need to put on the right clothes and I need to carry myself the right way and I need to do my hair just the right way. And yet what we really need to do is just come and be in the presence of God. You don't have to do all of those things to get right with Jesus, to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. All that's not required. It's simply to have a relationship with Jesus. See, what these teachers were doing is they're saying, hey, you need Jesus. Yes, that's awesome. That's great. But you need to also hold on to some of this Old Testament stuff that, that really Scripture says you don't have to hold on to anymore. So they were coming into the church and they were twisting what the Word of God said. And as they did that, people get led astray. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that salvation from your sin comes through Jesus Christ alone. There's no other requirements. There's no other extra things that have to be done. And any time that you encounter somebody that says you need anything more than Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, you need to run the other way because they are lying to you. Because that's not what Scripture says. 
this, this argument that, that you need Jesus and you have to do something else, what that does, here's the scary part, what that does is that puts your salvation in your own hands. If you have to do something besides accept the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ through His sacrifice on the cross, if you have to do anything else, that puts your salvation dependent upon you. And the problem is this, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We already know from Scripture, we can't save ourselves. So if our salvation is dependent upon us, then guess what? We have no hope whatsoever. It's only through the work and the person of Jesus Christ acting on our behalf, completely independent of us. Only through that can we receive salvation for our sin. I've, I've heard this argument before. People will say, you know what? You can lose your salvation. Well, you're right. If your salvation is dependent upon you, you can lose it and you will lose it. That's why it's such an amazing truth that your salvation, your forgiveness of your sin, it doesn't come from you. It's not dependent upon you. It is solely the work of God who calls us to repentance, who calls us to put our faith and trust in Him through what Jesus did on the cross and when He walked out of the tomb. And that's an amazing truth that we find here in Scripture. And that's why Paul is telling Titus, hey, you need to call out this false teaching because it is leading people astray. Paul makes it clear. These people are, they're lying. And he also makes it clear what needs to be done in the very next verse. Verse 11, look at what he says. He says, they must be silenced. He, he kind of goes mob boss on them here. Shut them up. Just, they're done. Now he doesn't say kill them, but he does say you need to silence them. He says, they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. He says, you need to make them stop because they're causing damage. They're causing damage, not just within the church family, but within families. It's leading people astray from what the truth of Scripture is. It's teaching them something that is not true. And it says they're doing it for their own benefit. It says they're teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Paul says you've got to quit it. You've got to make them stop. And then he goes on, and I love what he does here in verse 12. Listen to this. He says, one of the Cretans... A prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul, what he's doing here, this is actually a quote from a 6th century Cretan philosopher, and his name is, let me see if I can say this right, Epinomitis. It starts with an E and it ends with an S. I can't pronounce it very well. Epim, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but here's what he's doing. Listen, Paul is saying, Hey, can you say it? Can you say it? Say it right. Thank you. Epimides. See, he's way smarter than I am. Thank you. Epimides right there. What Paul is doing is he's saying, hey, don't take my word for it. I'm telling you that this is what's happening and these people are lying, but he's taking this sixth century Cretan philosopher and he's saying, hey, even one of their own people has said they're lying. Now, th this is a generalization, okay? This is like somebody saying, you know, teenagers, every one of them is just lazy. Well, I, I know that's not true because I know some of you in this room, let's be honest, some of you are lazy. Some of you are not. Some of you are really hard workers. So it's a generalization that he's doing here. But, but when you start quoting somebody that knows the people you're talking about, there's, there's something to be trusted there. When, when this guy, this philosopher is saying, hey, my own people, he says that they're liars, 
evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He's saying, there's some truth to this. It may not be everybody, but there is some truth to this. So yeah, there's probably people that are lying. They're making stuff up. And look at what he says in verse 13. He says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. That they, may be in, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the faith. Paul says, what this guy said, it's true. These other Cretans, these people that are coming in and teaching you scripture, but they're saying Jesus and something else for salvation. He says, it's true that they're lying to you. They're liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. And... and and he's kind of giving this picture here. He says, therefore, rebuke them what? How does he say rebuke them? Say it again. Sharply. Sharply. He says, you need to deal with this immediately. Don't let this drag on. Because the longer it drags on, the longer it goes, the worse it's going to get. It's, it's kind of like this. Have you ever had a conversation that you had to have with your parents? where you knew whatever you were getting ready to tell them was going to get you in trouble. So you put it off. And you put it off. And you put it off, hoping it'll just kind of go away. That doesn't really work, does it? No. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to find out before you tell them. And then when you finally do tell them, you're going to be in more trouble because you didn't tell them in the first place. I've, I've experienced that a couple times growing up. It's a bad idea. No, that is not what you do. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's what's happening here. What Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, Titus, don't wait to deal with this stuff. If these people are coming in and they're teaching Scripture, they're teaching things that aren't true about who God is, you need to take care of it right now because the longer you let it go, the harder that conversation is going to be later and the worse it's going to get before you have that conversation. You've got to deal with it, and you've got to deal with it now. But look at what he does here. In the middle of calling out these false teachers, look at it again in verse 13. He says, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. But listen to this, that they may be sound in the faith. So in, in the middle of calling them out and telling Titus, hey, you've got to deal with this. You've got to get rid of this problem so that it doesn't kill the church. What he does right here <laughs> is he shows love and compassion for the same people. He says, call them out. Deal with it quickly. Deal with it sharply. But do it so that they may be sound in the faith. So that these people who are standing against what God's Word says, these people that oppose Titus, oppose what Paul is teaching, he's saying, you need to call them out so that they can know who God is. So that they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that they can know what the truth of God's word says. He actually has concern for the people that oppose him. And let's be honest, that's not how most of us respond in a situation like that. When somebody is, 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 a, is against us or, or coming up against us or they're saying or doing things that, that are completely against who we are or what Scripture says, a lot of times what we do is we think, you know what, they're going to get theirs in the end. Or we'll start to go after them ourselves. But that's not what Paul does here. Our, our motivation tends to be protection of ourselves and our own pride. But Paul's motivation right here is the very gospel that he's trying to get them to understand. 
He says, you need to tell them that they're teaching the wrong thing so that they can have a right relationship with God. So that they can be sound in the faith. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. If you read through the New Testament, if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus stepped into humanity. He stepped into a world that needed him and at the same time raged against him. Killed him. Scripture tells us that our minds are set against God. And yet Jesus Christ came into that situation and said, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want to forgive you of your sin." That's a picture of the gospel, and that's exactly what Paul is telling Titus to do right here. Because Jesus stepped into humanity so that people who were set against him, so that the people who would take his life, so that the people who would say, God, I want nothing to do with him, he did that so that they could be drawn close to him and have a relationship with him. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's the picture that we see here. We see the gospel lived out as Paul is saying, hey, correct them, but correct them because you love them. Correct them because you want them to know who God is. Correct them because you want to see them walking in a right relationship with him. And then he goes on here in verse 15. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Paul is making another Old Testament reference here. In the Old Testament, in some of the Old Testament teachings, there were, there were rules and kind of laws that God set forth. And some of those things were the fact that there were certain things that were unclean for his people to touch. There were certain animals that they couldn't eat. There were certain things that they couldn't do because it would make them unclean before God. But again, as you read through the New Testament, you see that God made those things clean. And what, what he's saying here is he's saying there's, there's some of these people that they still think that some of those unclean things, those things that God said were off limits in the Old Testament, they still have to be off limits today. It's another Jesus and. It was Jesus and this physical act of the Old Covenant. Now it's Jesus and following these Old Testament rules when that has been changed in the New Testament. God's changed that for his people and they're no longer bound by those specific Old Testament rules. He's saying that if you've been forgiven by God through Jesus and you're his disciples, then you know that God has set you free from all of those old requirements that he had back in the day. He's given you freedom to live in his presence and in his grace and in his righteousness. And it's the people that still tell you to live by those old requirements. They don't even understand what they're saying and they don't understand who God is because they're telling you it's Jesus and. And if they really got it, the and would be out of the picture completely. It would be just Jesus. And then he finishes this chapter in the last verse. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What he does is he brings this theme, what we started talking about last week, all the way full circle right here in this last verse. It comes back at the end of this chapter to belief dictating your behavior. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They say they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and yet the things they're teaching, the things they're doing, says completely the opposite. Because what you believe should affect your behavior. 
In fact, the, the, the Greek word here that's used for deny, where it says they deny him by their works, that's the same word that's used in Scripture in reference to Peter denying Jesus before his crucifixion. Where Peter says, I don't know him. I've never known him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus. That's the same word that's being used right here. That these people who are coming in and they're teaching what's contrary to Scripture, they're denying who He is by their works. They are proving that they don't really know God. That they don't really have a relationship with Jesus. And that's why He calls them out again. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So what does that mean for us? If we understand what these believers should be doing, or what they should look like, and we understand why they should be doing it, what does that matter for us sitting right here tonight, a week and a half before school gets out and summer starts, and you don't have much more time around your friends? What does that mean? It means two things. Number one, you need to stay focused on the gospel of Jesus in your own life. You need to make sure that if you say you're following Jesus, that you're following what Scripture says about following Jesus. There's a lot of people in this world, guys, a lot of people that are going to tell you who you should be and what you should do to live out your relationship with Jesus Christ. They're going to tell you what it takes to follow Jesus. And they're going to say, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And yet what Scripture says is, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then it stops. Now, it does talk about living a life of obedience after that, but your, your, your salvation is not hinged on whether you're going to be obedient. Your salvation is hinged on whether you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and you put your faith and trust in Him in that moment. Because if you really do that, then you will begin to live a life of obedience. It'll happen. It may not happen right away, and it may not be easy, but it'll happen if you are following who Jesus has called you to be. There's no other rituals. There's no other requirements to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You ask him to forgive you of your sin. You put your faith and trust in him. And then you follow him with everything that you have. That's the gospel that we're supposed to be trusting in. That's how you stay focused on it. So you stay focused on the gospel in your own life. And the second, so what? The second reason this matters for us is that we are supposed to point others to the gospel and God's word. As you pursue Jesus Christ in your own life, as you live out the gospel every single day, it's just Jesus and that's what you're chasing after. You have the opportunity to point other people to the same thing that you're pursuing. Guys, Scripture tells us that as believers, as disciples, we should want to come to church. It encourages us to come to church. But coming to church doesn't determine your salvation. You come to church because you've experienced salvation and you want to be around other believers. And you want to grow and you want to worship together and you want to learn about God together. There's nothing in Scripture that says in order to have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to wear the right clothes on a Sunday morning or you've got to know all the words to every single song that is put on the screen. No, it says put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then as you pursue Him, you might learn some of those things. And now you get to point other people towards Him. 
You get to show other people who Jesus is and what the gospel looks like by the way that you live it out, by the way that you have the same love and concern for those people who would oppose what you say you believe, who would stand against you and tell you that everything you believe and everything you've ever thought about who God is is wrong. You have the opportunity to say, you're wrong and I love you. And let me tell you what God's word says. Guys, that's why it matters for us. Because we've got a thousand different things that we can do every single day. But in the midst of those thousand different things, the gospel should be the focal point for every single one of them in our lives. And as we do that, other people begin to see that. As we do that, we have opportunities to strike up conversations, to talk about people or to talk to people about Jesus. I'm switching those words around. To talk to people about Jesus. And it all happens when what you believe affects your behavior. And let me be clear, I'm not just talking about behavior modification. It's not just I'm going to do all the right things so people think I'm okay. No, it's because Jesus Christ has changed your heart and your eternity. And because you have latched onto that and you are pursuing that with everything that you have, he changes the way that you interact with people. He changes the way that you think. He helps you to live a life that honors him, even on the days that you mess up. That's the so what. That we have to focus on the gospel in our own lives. And as we do that, we have the opportunity to point other people towards the gospel so that they, while they're opposed to God, while they don't want anything to do with God, they can see that God still loves them through you. That's what we're called to do as disciples. And that's my prayer for every one of us in this room tonight. Guys, we have a week and a half of school left for most of you. Some of you, You'll see people at graduation, practice graduation, and then you're done. Some of you are going all the way to next Friday. You have up to seven days to pursue the gospel in your own life so that people in your life at school see it and give you the opportunity to point them towards the gospel. What are you going to do with the next seven days? Yeah, it's going to be fun. You're going to have parties. I hope you all still have parties in school, in the school year, parties. Sort of, eh, okay. Well, you'll get to see everybody. Some of you will get yearbooks. You're going to enjoy the last couple of days of school, but hey, more important than any of that stuff and all of that stuff is important is your opportunity to pursue the gospel at school, around your friends, around your teachers, and point other people towards the gospel. Hey, what are you going to do with the next seven days? You have an incredible opportunity. Make the most of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you that we can come into your presence, God. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and God, for the gospel, to know that we can be forgiven of our sin, to know that we can point other people towards you, not because of who we are, not because of anything that we do, God, but because of who you are and how you show your love through us when we will simply follow you. God, I pray for every single person in this room tonight. Help us to focus on the gospel in our own lives. God, help us to point other people towards you, towards what your word says about who you are. And if there's anybody in here tonight and you've not focused on the gospel in your own life because you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never come to that moment where you've asked God to forgive you of your sin.
ready to do that tonight. You got seven days to point people towards Jesus, but you can't do that if you're not pursuing Him. I encourage you, you can do that right now. It's simple words. God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't forgive myself. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. God, please forgive me. I want to follow you with my life. You can use those words. You can use your own words. Right now, you can put your faith and trust in Him. And know, know that you are pursuing Jesus with everything that you have. If you're here tonight and you want to do that tonight, you're ready to do that, you're tired of living for yourself, tired of all the junk, we're going to stand up in a minute we're going to sing. I'm going to be standing up front here. You can come talk to me or you can talk to any of the adults in this room. They would love to talk to you about that. But if God is telling you right now, if God is calling you right now, don't walk out of this room without talking to somebody. It can be scary. I know. Grab the hand of the person next to you. Grab the hand of a friend and take them with you. If you're here tonight and you have a relationship with Jesus, but you feel like you haven't been doing a very good job of pointing people towards Him, it's never too late. I encourage you. Write that down on that prayer card that was in your seat when you came in. Drop it in the basket up here and ask God to give you opportunity to do that tomorrow. To show people who He is by the way that you live your life, by the way that you pursue Him, by the way what you say you believe impacts what you do. God has called us to a life that honors Him. We have the chance to show people what that looks like. God, we thank You. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.